Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Authenticity and truth. Those are two powerful words. Do you stand in your truth? Are you living authentically in your life? Kelly McNeilis is the founder of Women for One a global global movement of authenticity and inspiration. She has also interviewed many powerful and spiritual thinkers of our time and regularly speaks to them on her radio show, The Global Sisterhood. Kelly is here to talk about authenticity and stories of women who own their truth. Kelly, hello and welcome to my show. Hi, Corinne. I'm so honored that I'm speaking with you today. Very excited to be here. Well, I think we have similar missions, right? We're trying to make the world a better place and create change. And and your way to do that is to really talk about authenticity and for people to own their stories. So I'm grateful that you've been willing to come on. Absolutely. So let's get started with the simple thing of what is authenticity? You know, it's such a buzzword these days, Corinne. Um, Everybody's talking about it, actually, maybe because I'm part of a movement that really focuses on on searching for what that word and the definition of what our own truth is. Um, And there are many definitions. And every time I interview very well-known, powerful people or just people like me who are searching in their life for peace, joy, happiness, and to be congruent with who they are, um, I've gotten a lot of different definitions. And I would say two of my most simple explanations for authenticity that I feel congruent with is uh, Chris Cade that I interviewed said, authenticity is the outer expression of my inner state of being. And I love that because it's simple. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, we can all kind of just take that in and, and, and really contemplate what does that mean? What is our outer expression of our inner state of being? Well, if our inner state of being is turmoil and, and all the stories and words we tell ourselves That's what we're going to be expressing on the outside. So a lot of people say that is being authentic. You're being yourself, even if you're, you know, not perfectly joyful. And I agree with that on a lot of levels, getting really congruent and aware of what's going on in your life and and looking at it and then taking it out into the world and, and acting on your belief systems with the congruency of that, if that makes sense. I got to that place where I, I wanted to create a community mm-hmm. where women could come together and men and share their stories to get awareness of what, what they've experienced and share their wisdom. But I think more importantly, Corinne, going into the place of taking action in their lives and not being a victim to the stories and experiences that they've had happen to them in the past, really learning from them and moving forward to take action to create a new vision for their life. So why, let's, can you share with the listeners why taking action is so important? Well, I feel like it's the, the main um, intention behind our global movement. I, I, I decided to, to call Women for One a global movement because movement is an action-based word. And I think it's really important to step into action because, 
you know, you can theorize all you want. You can get awareness. You can stay in that place of understanding where you came from and sharing and recycling in your life stories. But until you move into a place of, wait a minute, I can take self-responsibility. I'm the master of my fate. And you move out of that, that life is happening to you and that you can take control of your own life and create your own reality. There really isn't anything that to be able to come into your truth other than taking that action to create a powerful new place for yourself. So did, did you go through that transformation yourself? Um, I'm constantly going through it. That's how I feel. I mean, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a journey in life. And I think that's why I've always been a seeker of mm-hmm. truth and of understanding why we're here and, and understanding that place of, you know, what is it to take have peace and joy in my life. Ever since I was little, I remember that. So yes, I'm constantly going through that journey. So my friend and mentor, and I think she's one of the people that ignited you to get started on this woman for one. Um, but Martha Beck always talks about going, you go to your hell and back. And when you've come out of your hell, that is where you can help people because you've been there, but you've come out of it. And then that's the light that you can help shine. So it mm-hmm. sounds like that's where what you've been doing too. Yeah. And I think I, I agree with that sometimes. Um, oftentimes, I think people go through a really challenging time in their life. And I did. I I, I went through a place where I didn't feel congruent in my life. I, I woke up married to someone that I, I married because I thought it was the right thing to do. And because that's what you do when you're 26, you get married and have babies um, and, and have a career. And I woke up one day and kind of like the talking head song, you know, where, what is this? Like, who, who, who am I? I remember that every time I think about that aha day where I said, I am not living the life I envisioned. How do I want to change it? And that doesn't mean you just throw everything away, but then you go into a very serious place of contemplation and take the steps. And I took baby steps to get there. And it took me many years to question what it is I really wanted out of my life and, and create those values that mm-hmm. I, you know, saw my, how I saw my life in the future. Well, and in that process, weren't you getting to know who you were and what was uh, your inner state of being? Absolutely. I mean, it, it was a very long process and it's still happening daily. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I'm amazed at the wonder of, you know, waking up and having that awareness on a daily basis. And I think the best way to do that is to really listen to the tapes we tell ourselves in our head, share the stories, not so we can stay in them, but to release them. And I think also gain wisdom and share the wisdom with others so we can support and uplift one another. I really like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So then this is really important because when you talked about taking these baby steps, when you were 26 and you were getting married and having kids, that was really you living inauthentically, wasn't it? If, but yes, it was. I mean, at that time though, I felt like I was living authentically. So (laughs) I, I, I just wrote a blog called all is as it should be, which ignited Mm -hmm. some people not agreeing with it because of the state of the world right now. But really then all is uh, all was as it should be for me to learn the lessons. I was setting myself up to learn the lessons I, I have now, but to look back at that young, scared young woman at 26. And now I'm 20 years later at 46, you know, empowered, peaceful, happy, doing what I want to do, loving my children and this confidence that shines. And I, 
it's not from an ego place. It's, it's from a, a place of love and peace. I'm so grateful for my life. And then I was a victim to my circumstances. I blamed everybody on the outside. And so to, to really see that I shifted the, the, the view from, from looking outward and blaming my mom, my, my past, past life of growing up, my husband, everybody, then I took self-responsibility. And if you want to go back to what Martha Beck said, mm-hmm. sometimes that is the hell to really start looking at your own self and take that self-responsibility mm-hmm. because then you really see some things you don't want to look at. Mm-hmm. It's owning that story that we have, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And and we think it's easier to blame other people and to say, oh, poor me. Mm-hmm. But then when we realize that that, cause, that keeps us confined in this life that is not a congru- congruent with who we are. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so, because I want to, I want to ha- kind of sh- display to the listeners via audio <laughs> 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 that here you were, twenty six, right? You thought you were living your life that was authentic, but there was a lot of social stuff, right? This is what you do. This is what you're supposed to do. This is the next step. But it sounds like there was this kind of. I don't know, because I went through this in my mid-20s. I was doing everything that I was supposed to be doing. And, you know, I was uh, very successful and had this career, this job that everybody really wanted except for me. And so on paper, it looked good, but it didn't resonate with my inner soul. And I kept telling my soul, just be quiet, just be quiet. This is as good as it gets. Just (laughs) just accept this, right? And, And that caused a lot of inner pain and anguish. Was that... Was that something similar that you went through when you were living inauthentically? It's interesting you bring that up because the two words that come up when you when you talked about that, it's like we're all taught as as women especially to to live up to this idealized image, I mm-hmm. think. Oh yeah. Of, you know, of pleasing everybody else. And and really, you know, our, our daughters, you know, my daughter, I, I really focus on that now. Like, you know, what do you want to do? And because I think society puts a lot of pressure on women to be everything, and we've heard that for a long time. Um and, and and not taught as much to listen to that inner voice and to ignore it, suck it up, be powerful, you know, uh, do what you need to do. So absolutely, I resonate with what you're saying. And the other word that came up for me is intuition, really listening to that voice. The day before I got married, I had a dream and I heard that I should not. Mm. And I called my best friend and I, I've never shared this on a show, but it's so interesting. I called my best friend and cried to her. And she said, Kelly, you don't have to do anything you don't want to. But you you have to balance it out with, I have three beautiful children with this man, and he's a dear friend of mine now. Mm-hmm. So there was this place where it's not black and white. Mm-hmm. I was living as congruent to authenticity as I could at that time. You know, kind of like Maya Angela said, you, you do mm-hmm. better. You do what you do until you know better. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know or have the confidence or I hadn't pulled myself out of that victimhood mentality to be able to step in and say, wait a minute, I am the master of my fate. I do not need to do this. But the lessons that I learned from making the choices I did then are huge now. So I'm grateful for them. Well, and I think that's the key thing that you just said, the lessons that you learned. Mm-hmm. Right. You were willing to do the work to go through the struggle to take the baby steps, you know, and that probably took a lot of courage and you and, and learning from it instead of saying, oh, woe is me. Let me pitch a tent by the campfire and um, invite other people along and just talk about how crappy my life is all the time. Uh huh. And a lot of people shifted out of my life because of that. 
Because when you, you do hold that victim mentality, you surround yourself with either takers, I believe, mm-hmm. that, that continue to victimize you, or people that are uh, other victims that can sit there and collude with you is what I would call it. So it's been a real shift in the people, even, you know, my, my new partner that I just is my lifetime partner. I adore. He is the, the least victimhood person I've ever met in my life. And I really did. I would have never met him if I hadn't taken those baby steps to move out and get awareness around how I needed to take responsibility for my own life. I want to talk about this because this is really important because we're afraid, right? Of, oh my gosh, if I, if I, really live my truth, if I use my voice in a manner that's authentic and in line with my values, right? Not in a manner that can be hurtful or, um, you know, and that can be hurtful. But people get afraid that they're going to lose those people in their life, even if they're toxic people to mm-hmm. them, right? Mm-hmm. How, how did you go through that process of allowing those shifts to occur? Well, it's, it was so gradual and I, I keep hearing the word percentages. I mean, it was all percentages, um, going through the death of one of my best friends being there when she left absolutely changed my life for the rest of my life. I will never, I mean, I lost my father when I was 16, but to be a grown woman and see your best friend die of cancer and be there with her when she had to leave three little children, it, it, it shifted me into this place of whenever I always go back to it. That's the way I can explain it. The, the feeling of gratitude for having a life, gratitude for I can do anything I want with this life and I believe it and really making the most of it, most of my time. So when we talk about going through a hard time, I think that is what shifted me the most in the past probably 10 years. And I, I still go back to it every time I I think about some of my issues and fall into that victim mentality because I still do. It's a It's a bad habit to break. I, I, I think about, wait a minute, first world problems. Okay. <laughs> it's a global perspective here. It helps. It, mm-hmm. It's like my little inner coach, you know, but gently not blaming or shaming myself, gently bringing myself back every time, if that makes sense. So it's percentages. Well, and I appreciate because I think people, you know, who come on and, and, and listen to the show, they think, oh, Well, now that she has transformed, right, or now that this person's hit this level of success, they don't have any of these difficulties. (laughs) And what I always say is that we're constantly practicing. Oh, yes, aren't we? We're constantly practicing. And we think at some point, sometimes we go, oh, I've got this down. I've mastered it, right? Oh, and then the universe decides to give us an opportunity to practice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The other thing I love about that is um, I have an assistant who's 25, so the same age as you know, when I was going through my beginning of my life, having children and getting married and she's so powerful. So I have to remember she's not me then, mm-hmm. <laughs> but she, you know, if I'm in a place where I call contraction, which is she'll come in and I'll say, I'm having a day. And she's like, Oh, I'm sorry, Kelly. I was like, no, no. Cause whenever I go into that place, I know I'm going to actually have a great lesson. When you start to appreciate the, 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 bad days that you know you're going to have a lesson and a great day is going to come and that expansion is going to come, you get really excited and you know you've actually grown a little. <laughs> all bad days, you know? Yes. It's it's just part of the human experience. It's part of the human journey. Yep. And um, instead of thinking that, I think I used to think, and a friend of mine just told me this uh, this week, 
But I used to think like those bad situation, it was like that, that was it, right? It was the doom and gloom. And then a friend of mine this week was talking and she's one of the things she had learned was a feeling is not a prediction, right? We get so afraid of those horrible feelings because we think we're going to get stuck in that horrible feeling, but it's a feeling. It's it, And I liken it to the weather. The weather changes. I mean, you're up in Washington, so you may have more rain days than I do in California, <laughs> but the weather's going to change. Yep. And and we're not always stuck in the same same. It's it, it's that's part of transformation. Yeah, that those emotions. I imagine them sometimes when I feel out of control with an emotion, which in my mid forties I'm starting to feel that. <laughs> and <laughs> um, when I feel out of control, I imagine a wave. That's what I do, and I was taught taught that by a mentor of mine because waves just pass through you mm-hmm. and, and and try to detach from it. So it's not oh, this is just an emotion. This isn't me. This isn't who I am inside. And it really is, help. it's empowering because then you're not stuck in that place of feeling like your emotions are ruling you. Mm-hmm. So when you went through this, these shifts and the friendships were changing, was there ever like the grieving of these particular friends that, that were moving out of your life or pulling away because you were becoming different? It was, it was so gradual and that I had a, not grieving so much, which was interesting. I, I had more of a witness experience, if you can explain that. I'd be like, hmm, interesting. They only came to me when they needed something. It was more of that witness because I had shifted so slowly. I looked back and went, oh, my goodness, I'm not, I haven't hung out with them in a long time. It wasn't this big, dramatic, like, okay, I'm cutting all the toxic people out of my life. <laughs> I'm done. Because you know what? I The thing about, I feel like one of my good qualities is I, with women especially, I really feel like I can see something that I love about every woman I meet. Um, you know, I have my issues with men and that's another challenge. We are all growing. Um, and I'm working on that now, but I, I really, every human being has something beautiful about them. And I'm not just coming from like a Pollyannish place. I really truly believe that to my core. So, but it's just interesting to watch how your life moves forward. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, Oh, look at who I've surrounded myself with. These people rock. They are amazing. And I don't hang out with those people as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's more uh, gradual. If that makes sense. No, that makes sense. I think about in my own experience, um, it wasn't, you know, like I wasn't sad and crying, but sometimes I would run across somebody that we used to do a lot of stuff together, you know, when our kids were young. And I think I would, I was more sad about the story of what, what was, and what I made it mean versus actually the experience of being in the relationship with that person, right? And um, so for me, it was the grieving of the story of, oh, wouldn't it be nice? We would have been friends when our kids were little and we'd be friends now when our kids are 14. And isn't this great, right? It was that story of here we are for 12 or 13 years being great friends, but that really was not necessarily the case to begin with. We were people that did stuff together. Does that make sense? It, it makes a lot of sense. And it makes me think of the the phrase, nothing is for sure except change. Nothing mm. is constant except change. So I'm actually feel a little different because I have one dear friend I've had my whole life. Well, since I was about 16 or 17. And I am shocked that we are still best friends <laughs> mm-hmm. because of all of the changes that we've both been through. And we're still these, like we talk every other day. And how cool is that to be able, I'm so grateful for that, that, that you can have that, but 
But the other people that come in and out of your life, I look at them sometimes as lessons Mm -hmm. and that if they're going to stay, they're going to stay. And I kind of just witness them going through. It's interesting. It's kind of cool to talk about this. I haven't thought about that in a while. So don't you think, I mean, basically our life is full of lessons, whether it's lessons of friendship, lessons on how to be authentic, lessons in marriage, lessons in raising children, lessons, and I too have a blended family, lessons in having a blended family. I mean, all of these are opportunities where we can either say, oh, woe is me, right? Uh Or what can I learn from this? Absolutely. I really, I agree completely. It's all lessons. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it comes down to how do we embrace those lessons, right? Do we, you know, I think the old me would have been like, oh, woe is me. My life is just so hard. Da, 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 da. And now it's like, okay, what can I learn from this? You know, how can, how can, what can, and, and I think from go, that part, it brings me into this more compassionate place and I'm more rooted in a sense of love. What about you? You know, I, when you said that, sometimes, you know, think, speaking of, and we were talking about idealized image before of what things should look like, mm-hmm. quote, should be. And even the word lessons, questioning what that means to you, because, you know, a lot of us might have a feeling that lessons are, you have to go through a lot to have a lesson, where a lot of the great lessons I've learned in my life have come from a real joyful place and a joyful experience. So I'm in this new place, Corin, where I am like, how can lessons be easy? They don't always have to. <laughs> they really don't always have to be difficult. They can be light. They can be fun. I don't have to overthink things. I can feel joy by sitting and being quiet. I can feel joy by watching my children. It, it's been incredible. I had just a little vignette. I, I had had a really long day, like a, mo- a lot of moms do the other day. I have six children, three stepchildren and three of my own. And my 19-year-old and my 14-year-old were having an argument. And I said, you guys, it's 10 o'clock. You need to figure this out. And I go upstairs. I shut the door, turn the light off. I look up. They're both standing over me. Mom, <laughs> can you mediate this? I mean, of course, my kids talk like that. It's just, you know. And, and I sat up and I heard, I heard intuition say, you're, you're going to be sad when you don't have to do this anymore. So patience. And I sat up and said, okay, guys, and I just did it. And it felt, I was so grateful for that. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> no. And, and I, I love that because I do think sometimes as women, right, where it looks like our worthiness is how much struggle do we have to go through? And I know this was mine. Let me prove to you my worthiness by how much I hustle. Right. <laughs> right. Or how much I know or how much I can do or how good my house looks or how skinny I am. You know, it's like all of those things, you know, on in, in our the global movement that I've created, we have stories where women are sharing those stories of, of illness, healing, issues with family and relationships, body image issues. I mean, worldwide, we're all the same from across across all the cultures. We're all going through exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. When I think that, I, I think going back to what you said about how can lessons be easy, right? right. I, I, you know, I, I think about how it can be easy and, and I'm in that same place too. Like, okay, how can I have ease and flow? And, you know, just, just, and it doesn't mean that I'm trying to sit on the couch and eat bonbons, right? <laughs> but I don't need to be pushing boulders up the hill anymore. 
right? Mm-hmm. How can I learn? And I, you know, I talk about learning. I can learn from all sorts of areas, right? Just by sitting there, like you could use the word witness, being in that witness place and paying attention. And that means I have to show up and be aware and be conscious in that moment and just pay attention to what's going on right there. I mean, that can be challenging. I don't know how easy that is, but we don't have to go through. It's not like the trauma Olympics, right? Where we have to say, oh, I have to go through cancer to be able to have transformation or, um, I don't know, you know, a dissolution of marriage or, you know, just something that can be more on the traumatic side. We can, we, and that's, I think, a great point that you brought up for the listeners is that lessons can't be easy. There can be a continuum of lessons. And one, if it's easy, it doesn't invalidate the lesson. Isn't that what you're saying, Kelly? Absolutely. It does not invalidate the lesson. And I'm just setting my intention these days to have light, joyful lessons for a little while. (laughs) And I think that's okay. I think so too. It's it's nice to have those because, you know, life is going to happen and there are things that sometimes are out of our control, right? So um, like with your friend that you lost or your father that you lost, those are things that are out of our control, but we don't need to be looking for the big hard lessons every day. No, we don't. I think they come along every day anyways. So we just allow for what is going to happen and not resist it. Cause I think hard lessons come and they feel more painful when you resist them and fight them and get attached to them. So I have a question for you. What is the lesson that took you the longest to learn? Well, as we were talking about my life and why I started Women for One, um, I really believe that self-responsibility was, was a huge lesson for me. And when I, when I say that word, I mean truly with all of the fibers of my being to the best of my ability, believing that I create my reality. I have choice in how I'm going to react I have power in my life and I can move out of that place of feeling like the world has been done to me and that I am the master of my fate. Okay. So now here's my question for you. There's a listener out there that has cancer Mm -hmm. and they go, so you're telling me that I created this cancer? Right. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I think things happen randomly Mm -hmm. um, and I think we all can make a choice to learn from what has happened. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's a great question. I've been asked that before. For example, my dear friend that died of cancer, Mm -hmm. she believed with all her being that she could learn so many lessons while she was on this earth from the cancer she had. It was awful. There were days where she was a victim, of course. I mean, she felt awful, but she was empowered in understanding that this had happened to her and she could do all she could do and then surrender to whatever belief anybody has of what needs to happen to her fate. So there is a balance in that. I'm not discrediting what I'm saying, but I'm definitely not saying things don't happen randomly because we are in the universe. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and to use that as an example, like a really good friend of mine has cancer and what she has done, I mean, the, you know, the cancer is there, right? She's mm-hmm. not thrilled about it. But how she chooses to interact every day with it, you know, how she, um, and I'm not saying that she doesn't go through fear, but she really works on how, you know, um, putting boundaries aside and, you know, working in, and working with her medical team that she has and, and making control of, okay, this crappy thing has happened. What are the choices that I'm going to make? 
whether it's nutrition, whether it's care, whether it's, you know, so those are the decisions that she has control over. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, that's what I'm saying. I know a lot of people that have been through cancer and it's so interesting. Actually, one of our truth tellers, who's a friend of mine, Brenda Michaels, wrote a book called The Gift of Cancer. And it's, it's, it's an interesting title. And I have another dear friend that has cancer that walks around with anger about cancer and, and puts things out on, on social media about how she hates cancer. So everybody's going to have a different reaction to it. It's just I believe, my belief is being empowered, feeling in choice, not feeling a victim to the cancer is more helpful with your life and your peace and how to get joy in your life mm-hmm. more than being angry about it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So it's a choice of which, I, I call them neighborhoods, which neighborhood do you want to live in? Do you want to live right. in the angry neighborhood or do you want to live in the joy neighborhood? You know, and that's, and that's again with this crappy circumstance of having cancer or whatever it may be for your life. Right. And it doesn't mean that you don't go visit that neighborhood, right? Because you're going to feel those feelings. And then it's like, okay, what can I do in this manner that I can be grateful for? Maybe I'm grateful that I have medical insurance. Maybe I'm grateful that I have somebody that's going to go with me to chemo, whatever it may be. Right. To make it a little bit better. Absolutely. And I think I've worked a, a lot on with an organization with people that are dying and for several years um, with this incredible organization, Solomination. And really every experience I've had with someone that's terminal is this experience of such surrender and peace. I, it it just brings me into my heart. Tears well up when I think of it. It's so fascinating to see the people at end of life and where they are. They're not fighting it. Mm-hmm. They're surrendered, mm-hmm. but not from a victim like I give up. It's this peaceful place and it's it's beautiful. So now my next question for you, Kelly, is what is your definition for success? Well, you know, I thought about that and I feel like the word success for me mm-hmm. has always been... Um, very masculine, male oriented, mm-hmm. that, that success action. Mm-hmm. And so from the feminine place, because of the, the feminine consciousness movement, I think that's happening right now. I think of, of people that I feel like are the most grateful and joyful and present and unapologetically themselves weird flying their freak flag. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that I believe are successful. If I had to have role models, it would be people that are empowered, that are grateful for each day, grounded in the moment, very present, and no blame. So that's really what my definition of success is. So I want to talk about flying this freak flag because it's a topic that we we talk a lot about in our house. I have a, I have oh. a blended family, mm-hmm. but um, the older kids are now grown and much older. And so the last two kids in the house are 14 and 12. But I've been raising kids since my uh, bonus kids were three and six, and they're now 27 and 24. Mm -hmm. So I've been parenting a long time. But we talk a lot about, you know, you fly your freak flag and and own it. And that's something that I think has been much harder for me than for my husband because I always wanted to fit in and belong, right? Where he is just really his authentic self. He's not, he's not interested. Like I was, I'm a, I call myself a recovering approval whore. You know, <laughs> that's just never who he was. He's like, this is who I am. You know, whether I'm a nerd, I like what I like. It's just that simple. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think having 
me go through my own transformation, having their father the way they are. It's been interesting to watch my daughters who <laughs> just the other day I was talking to my 14 year old. I was like, where is your cell phone? She's like, oh, it's on the bottom of my swim bag. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> I'm like, why am I paying money for this? Maybe I should cancel it. She's like, oh, that'd be fine. <laughs> I was like, no, you can't cancel. We can't cancel your phone. You must have it. You must start charging it and using it. She said, mom, you realize that this is a very opposite conversation than most households have. <laughs> That's so great. But so she kind of flies her freak flag, right? That she's like, yeah, I don't need to be tied to it. I'm right. fine without it, which is very different than most of her peers. Right. Um, and she likes that. But we become afraid to fly a freak flag, don't we? We do. And I love that term because one of my dear friends and I were, we went to Bali a couple years ago and I told her the story because this healer in Bali said to her, you know, in no uncertain terms, you need to learn to fly your freak flag, but didn't say it that way. Mm -hmm. And we were laughing about it. And when she got home, she's this very appropriate doctor. She decided to wear this costume for Halloween and just be crazy. You know, the appropriate perfect doctor that always looks good, that knows everything, was like, whatever. And I, I agree. I, I think we all need to do that more and more. And I, I think some of it comes with age, but some of it comes with this self-realization and transformation. And it's funny you say that. My husband is exactly the same as yours. He I, Sometimes I'll be like, can you like be a little nicer when people come <laughs> around? And he's like, look, if they don't like me for who I am, I, I'm okay with it. And I was like, okay. I love it though. It's wonderful. It's really good teaching for me. Well, it was crazy because people would come over and uh, and they would be visiting and and then he'd get up and he says, okay, you need to leave now. <laughs> I was like, you can't be saying that. And so, and a lot of times they're his, um, his former athletes because he's a swim coach. He's a college swim coach. So a lot of times there's former athletes that come to visit or people just drop in and drop by. But, he, um, you know, and so now he just gets up because I've told him many times, you can't just tell people they have to leave. And so he gets up and he goes, okay, well, I need to go to bed because I have morning practice tomorrow. And he goes off to bed. And then sometimes people leave or I'm with them until midnight. So it kind of depends on how it goes. <laughs> I love it. It's great. And I think we as women are taught to be more appropriate. Uh -huh. But when we can really let go of it, I think we go the other way. And I love it. Our house. <laughs> Believe me, they all think I'm the freak in the house now. So it's all good. <laughs> so I want to talk about being unapologetically, unapologetically ourselves because I think that takes a lot of courage. And um, because don't you see people being afraid to be themselves? Yes, I do. But I mean, if I think of my husband, I don't, I think it's just in his nature. Mm -hmm. He's, and I think if me doing my own personal study of my husband, he's <laughs> 10 years older than me, um, I would say that that comes from a very solid foundation and strong belief system in a, a place of really having a high self-esteem, really loving yourself from the inside out. Because mm -hmm. when you do that, you exude that and you don't need to be anything but who you are. You don't need that approval. Mm -hmm. You don't need people to be like, oh, she's nice or he's, well, how sweet are they? I mean, coming from a place of love has shifted for me. In my 20s, it was more of be loving externally. Now it's sometimes love, it, giving love is being real and being not tough love, but stating, speaking your truth. And that's really difficult to do sometimes mm -hmm. that takes courage. 
Well, don't you think like, okay, because I've done the same research on my husband. Um, don't you think that, uh, I don't think my husband has bought into the programming. One, I don't think that there was the programming, just him being a male. And then the other is he just didn't buy into it. He's like, yeah, whatever. I'm not concerned with that. Right. So whereas I had that programming growing up my entire life, you need to be nice to be liked. You have to do this. Right. It's all that social self stuff that we get taught, but they just didn't have to go through that experience so much. I agree with that with with men more than women Mm -hmm. in general. I do. And when I meet a woman that is like unapologetically herself, I am just like, wow. I, I want to use you as another role model. I have a lot of people that I just take facets of who they are and I, I watch who they are and their fiber and their being. And I think that's, it's just so cool to see it. But doesn't it scare people when people are unapologetically themselves? I think it does. And I think going back to that question about were there people that had took issue with you as they were falling off? Mm-hmm. The, the people that really had a hard time with me is when I started moving into this place of speaking my truth and becoming a new person and not knowing that I had shifted so much, like almost like it is who I am now. Mm-hmm. Like even my ex husband, like, who are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I would speak my truth. And when I was with him, I would keep the peace. Mm-hmm. And he just didn't understand that I had shifted because he hadn't experienced me over time. And I think when people expect that and they're like that, it almost seems harsh to them, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, that mm-hmm. that truth. Because if somebody's not massaging your ego mm-hmm. and you're used to that, that caretaking place and somebody, it, they seem almost like tough and cold. And I used to feel that way about people. I look back now and I go, wow, they were probably the most honest people in my life when I was that age. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, that makes total sense. I think, I think if you, I'm wondering if, if you're not living in an authentic place and then you see somebody else that is, it's easier to be like, you know, to try to judge them and try to shut them down because it's bringing up your own stuff, your own incongruence. What do you think? I I agree. And I think it brings up fear. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's my challenge these days, especially with touchy relationships in my life that I, that have to be there with, you know, making family relationships work and keeping the peace from an authentic place. It's challenging because sometimes people react and I want to fix. I want to go back into that caretaking codependent place instead of just allowing for it to be what it is and being solid in myself. And the more I practice it, the the easier it is to do. And the more I realize that I have a choice with this reaction, it's not their, their, their reaction doesn't have to control what I do and my actions. I like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so how are you unapologetic? Gosh, I'm having such a hard time with this word. Unapologetically (laughs) yourself. How am I? Um, when I feel safe, I am, I mean, like I said, it's percentages, right? I mean, when I feel the safest with the people that I know love me unconditionally, I am, and that's a good way to start practicing it when you've been Mm -hmm. a as you called it, what did you call yourself when you were younger? An approval whore. Right. If you're approval, um, I think it's a good way to start. Just practice with the people that you feel safe, that that you know love you unconditionally. Um, and just that's what I do, that's why I started doing it. And then I would kind of just tap my toe in the water and test things out and say something to someone that I thought, mm, well. And the other thing I do also is I really ask myself every time. 
I'm going to say something that I know probably is, it's definitely truth, but is it, is it necessary? And is it kind, that true kindness that helps me get some witness to things when I get to unapologetically be myself and say something like, does it need to be said? Why am I saying it? And really have consciousness and awareness around it. Mm-hmm. That feels like an unapologetically myself thing, even though it sounds more contrived, mm-hmm. it helps me to just allow for what needs to happen. Do you, is it easier for you to be unapologetically yourself when you're living, when you're rooted in your values? Oh, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Like Mm -hmm. you, you, you check in with yourself when you're rooted in your values. I mean, I was talking about my husband. He, he really doesn't go into his head a lot about it. He kind of just does what he does. And and sometimes of course he's human. He makes mistakes and, (laughs) and, and offends people. But generally people really feel safe with him because he's so solid and they know when they, when they speak with him, they're going to get the truth. Ooh, so here's something that just came up. So when we are unapologetically ourselves and we're rooted in our values, it's not about changing other people to join our our mission or our, our you know whatever it may be, but it's it's just about saying this is me. This is who I am. This is what I represent. You don't have to join this. Is that do you understand right. what I'm saying? It's, it's autonomy. Mm-hmm. It's autonomy. I this is who I am. Mm-hmm. The unapologetically is a, this is it. I'm mm-hmm. showing up. I'm here with the biggest open heart I can have and as solid as I can be in this moment and the, the best intentions and going from that place. I just actually posted something on, um, on my social media the other day and it said the biggest, uh, the, the biggest gap between people and the biggest heartache is misunderstanding something like that. And isn't it the truth, the communication between one person and the other, the transference somebody has on one person and what they're saying to another. And the misunderstanding is really a lot about what it's about. But if you're autonomous, Mm -hmm. you are who you are. You don't need to get affected by people's reactions. You're just standing in your truth. Then you can have a clear understanding of where other people are coming from. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's the important thing because I think sometimes we f- we get afraid, right? When somebody's unapologetically themselves, that they're going to try to transform us too. And it's not about that. It's just us being us. And this is who we are. We're speaking our truth. You don't even have to agree with it. This is just our truth. Isn't that right? Isn't, isn't that great when you don't have to agree? It's it's <laughs> it's some of my best friends. Like I'm, a, I guess I'm a Democrat. One of my really good friends, she's a Republican. I love to have conversations with her, right? Because I get a different viewpoint, and it, it it's like I talk about the windows of possibility on the show. I mean, that's really what it is. And it's so funny because uh, one of our family members is Republican. He hates to banter with me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it be, it's like a personal attack. And I'm just, I just want, you know, I say stuff and these are my beliefs, but he thinks I should believe his beliefs. And it just, and, and it's always, he gets so mad. I don't, but he gets really upset because, um, he doesn't like my beliefs and I shouldn't believe my beliefs. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what's going on in the world right now, yeah. all over with all the tragedy. It's everybody, either it's misunderstanding, it's different beliefs, it's not being open to, respecting other people's truths and it's fascinating to watch it and it's the blame game blaming the others everywhere 
it's that shaming and blaming. And, you know, I come back, I come from an academic background where, you know, it was about academic freedom and it was about, you know, if we can have dialogues and have conversations and even different point of views, what can we learn from them? Absolutely. Yeah. I I love, I love speaking with someone that has a different belief system than me. I mean, I I actually enjoy it because it's not an angry discussion. Mm -hmm. I mean, even it, I, I, you know, some people are like, we don't talk about religious religion and politics in the house. We avoid it. I'm like, why? <laughs> I think it's great. As long as you can come from that respectful place that everybody has a different belief system and a different perception of what they're doing and what this world is about for them. So, you know, Kelly, when I was rooted in being an approval whore, I think it was harder because I think I did. I was in people's business and trying to get them to join my crusade. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm rooted more in a place of self-love and like, you know, I don't need your approval that to show that I'm worthy, right? right. Then right. I can, I can say these, this is how I feel. These are, you know, this is what's important to me. And you don't have to, you don't have to join to, so for me to belong, right? We don't have to agree on this aspect. Absolutely. And I think I finally have this really solid team at Women for One because of that, because everybody on my team is um, committed to that same mission and we challenge each other daily and disagree all the time uh-huh. and we love it. Uh-huh. We love it. <laughs> it's fun. It's great when you can do that and you can also have people that are surround you with honesty. Deep so. respect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a deep mutual respect for all of us. I love it. So as we go here, what are two takeaways for the listeners today? To really have no shame about where you are. That's a big one for me. Wherever, whatever life circumstances you're in, to, to, to notice the shame, release it. And own your own experience because everybody has such a vast knowledge of wisdom that they could share with the world to uplift them and teach them. And secondly, I would say step into your power, even if it's a baby step, just set your intention, whatever that means to you, even if it's just doing something as simple as like taking yourself out for an ice cream. Uh-huh. <laughs> step into your power because I think the world would be a great place if we all let go of our shame, moved into our power. Kelly, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. It's been great. I've, it's been a, a wonderful time with you. Thank you so much. That was Kelly McNeilis, and she is the founder of Women for One and also has the radio show, The Global Sisterhood. All of her links will be on her interview page. Authenticity. That is one of my um, top five values and how I live my life. And I think that was always a part of who I was. Um, It used to come across as confrontational because I think what would happen was, you know, when I was rooted in that approval horror sense, I was trying to get people to buy in and approve and give me permission to speak my truth. And when I'm rooted really in this place of self-love, I don't need that permission from other people And I don't have to dial up that authenticity because our values or our strengths, when they dial, when we dial them up and we we go into excess, they can be our weakness. Or like one of the things I like to talk about is where are you rooted from, right? Are you rooted from love? Are you rooted from fear? And when I was in that approval whoring place, I was rooted from a place of fear. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to belong. If I, and then it was, well, if I can get them to approve of this idea that I have, then that makes me worthy. And so that would intensify this authenticity that I had. So our values can become our weaknesses 
if we dial them up or if they're rooted in a place that isn't in our place of well-being and self-love. And that's something to think about. You know, how does authenticity fit in your life? Um, it's it's really important to me. And just recently had an experience where we had a party and um, a friend of mine had said something and made a commitment to something. And I was kind of like, really? You're going to do that? And I was like, oh, yes, we're going to do that. And I was like, you realize summer's, you know, we're halfway done with summers. Oh, yeah, we're going to do it. You'll be seeing us. And so I mentioned that night after the party was over to my husband and my husband goes, it's not going to happen. Like, but, but he said that this was going to happen. My husband looked at me and he goes, it's not going to happen. Look who said that to you. And I really struggled with it for about 48 hours because here's somebody who I really trust and I really like, and I've known for, um, over 20 years. And my husband's known him for far longer than that. And I realized it wasn't a reflection on him and it wasn't reflection on me is that, you know, while my husband and I are deeply rooted in this authentic space and, um, saying what we believe to be truth, not committing to stuff that we're really not going to follow through on this friend of ours. And he told me this number of years ago, his, one of the really important things for him is to be liked by others, right? That's very, very important to him. And so he will say things to get other people to like him, you know, that what he believes that they want to hear. And that's what had happened. So, you know, I don't think of him as a dishonest person or, you know, it's not black and white as good or bad, but it was for me to realize that so much of my life is wrapped around authenticity, right? So many of the people on my inner circle were in rooted in that place of authenticity, but it doesn't mean the rest of the world is that way. And also it doesn't mean that I want to shut out people that aren't, right? They just may not get to really my heart. Um, you know, I'm going to be a little bit more cautious and I'm not going to um, hang my hopes or my dreams on somebody who makes a commitment but is not consistent on that follow through. And I hope that makes sense and gives you some perspective to think about authenticity. Where are you in that space in your life? Maybe it's important to you. Maybe, you know, you're not ready for it right now. And and, and it's okay. And what? how can you develop it if it's something that is really important to you? I've realized in my life that there were times that when I've made decisions, it was uh, I, I could no longer be in that space because I was living out of integrity for my, with myself. So those are things to, you know, really think about. I mean, authenticity is a core value of mine. It is very, very important to me. And for the most part, the people that are on my inner circle, um, I can will hold that authentic space. I don't know if it's their top five core value, but we can have those deep connections. We can have those, you know, sharing the story. And those are the people who've earned the right to hear my story, right? Where they can at least provide that space where we can have authentic conversations instead of, you know, um, painting that picture that I did so much of my childhood on how great my life was. Or how, you know, like we could do that in Facebook. I've talked about that a lot, right? The highlight reel, but really about what's being authentic. And it, and so, you know, just like you, I have great days and I have days that are difficult. You know, I have circumstances that go beyond my control. Just recently, I was coming back from Portland and I arrived at the airport at 530 in the morning for my 645 flight. I had a conference call at 10 and I knew this wasn't going to be a problem because I was going to be home by 830. You know, everything was easy and smooth. And as soon as I got out on the curb, I looked at my phone and there was a text. Your flight has been delayed till 10 o'clock. And there were two thoughts that immediately went into my head. One was, 
oh crap, I have this conference call. I should have known better. I did know better, but I didn't think it was really going to happen. And man, I could have slept in instead of only getting four hours of sleep. But I took care of the first, the conference call. I sent an email and um, contacted the person that was uh, leading the call. I was supposed to be on it. That part was important. She was going to be fine without me. They were going to carry forward. Then the next one was, well, I almost had a little pity party. Oh, I could have slept and that would have been better for my own self-care. And then the reality was is that my girlfriend and I, we shared a car service back from the, our hotel to the airport. And, you know, it was in my, it's in my values not to, right, break a commitment. And I, I didn't want her to get stuck with the car and stuff. That was the whole point, that reason we split a car. So it all worked out. So I thought, okay, well, here's my situation. I'm stuck at the airport for like an extra, I don't know, what is that? 5.45 to 10, 10 o'clock, four hours, I guess four hours, 15 minutes. And so I called up a colleague of mine who had been meeting to talk with. We had a great conversation for a couple hours. We never get to talk that long, right? I don't usually have the space to talk like that. And it was great. We just sat there and we talked and lots of ideas came up. It was fabulous. So then I go strolling over to my gate finally. And um, all of a sudden I look and they, they announce I'm waiting and I'm waiting and they announce, oh, you're now your flight is not leaving till 1145. I'm like, oh, I can make my 10 o'clock conference call. So I sent an email and said, hey, can I still come and be a part of it? And it was perfect. I showed up. Um, I don't know how great it was for everybody else because, you know, you had the, they, they got a concern a couple of times saying, oh, are you being called to your gate? I'm like, oh, no, my flight's not leaving for an hour and 45 minutes. That's just the airpoint noise, right? But I was able to partake in that. After that, I headed back to my gate that we had been moved to. And I looked and it said Los Angeles instead of Sacramento. And I went, wait a second, where's my plane? So I went up to the the, uh, the worker who's there and I asked them and they said, one of the guys said, come here, kind of sternly. I was like, oh, and I was like, day, I was literally dazed and confused in my pajamas, my aqua monster. We have these final pajama pants, which are very appropriate for travel. And it's great because I can sleep in them and then just walk out the door. And, uh, but uh, I walked up and I was dazed and confused and I, and I jokingly said, what are you going to give me a free voucher? And he goes through the stack and he goes, here you go. And I got a free voucher. I was like, holy moly, ask and you you shall receive. And then, so then eventually I walked over and I was like, well, you know, I've been inconvenienced, but in the end I got to talk to a really good friend of mine and a colleague. I got to make my conference call, which was my big concern. And I got a free voucher. So, you know, it kind of worked, it all worked out. Would I like to have been home earlier? Yes, but I was smart enough to, outside of that conference call, not book anything else in my day. So that is what like Kelly and I were talking about. Circumstances happen, but you can just still get to choose how do you want it to let it affect you, right? Whereas the other people in line, they were really upset, right? They were very upset about what was happening and how they should have driven cars and all of that. And I can, as I'm talking about this, I can feel that energy drain in my body. You know, it was out of my control, right? And so I found ways to make it better. So for you, when you go through life and when you go through certain circumstances, I invite you to think about what are the choices? How do you want to act? How do you, do you want to just unconsciously react to it like I used to and play the victim as Kelly was saying? Or do you want to act in a manner that's in line with who you are, right? That's in line with um, how you want to live your life. 
and and it can happen in trying circumstances. And it's something that takes practice. And I love the fact how Kelly talked about that she's always being tested. It's always practice. And then she does go into this, oh, poor me, woe is me, and then works herself out of it. And if you if that's the only takeaway that you get from this is that we all go and visit those neighborhoods, right? It's not just um, you that lives in that neighborhood. We all do. We just keep practicing to get out of it. You know, I was a swimmer for a really long time, for about 14 or 15 years. And, you know, back when I was swimming, we said, we um, mistakenly thought that there was such a thing as the perfect stroke. So striving for this perfect stroke, well, you know, you might get your stroke and then you might lose it the next day, right? It didn't mean you were a failure. It was just part of the process. And my husband's Olympian, his stroke comes and goes, you know, and so there's no such thing as a perfect stroke but about getting in the right rhythm to get into the the stroke that works for your body, right? So it's it's a constant practice. So I invite you to go and practice living your authenticity, living your truth today. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting, never been so wild.